At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel, and that bears repeating because <laughs> something we've never discussed on this show is that you have written on the new show Uncoupled. Yes. And also the new show So Help Me Todd. Yes. I want to be clear that those are two Marsha Gay Harden projects. <laughs> and of the two hosts on Keep It, who do you think is owed double Marsha Gay Harden projects? <laughs> has, she, has she been on Gibble while you've been on? Uh, at some point, I don't think recently. Wow. Okay. I mean, I, I would have assumed you'd had double Marsha Gay Harden. No. I mean, I mean, we rarely interact with the guests on the show anyway. But I mean, you're right. If she came, I would like capture her in a butterfly nut, and then that would be the the end of the public knowing what happened to Marsha Gay Harden. Well, we've had her on Keep It. Right. Yes. No. She was a great guest. And by the way. We we rarely have um, guests who come on multiple times for whatever reason. Marsha Gay Harden isn't uh, would be a great double invitee, and because we have one today. Yeah, we've got Betty Gilpin this week, who I think is maybe the definitive podcast interviewee of our time. Like the way that once upon a time, you know, Julia Roberts would come on Dave Letterman and be the definitive talk show guest. <laughs> um, Betty Gilpin is that for the podcast. Uh, Helix mattress sleeping world. Well, also she discusses um, it's like in a roundabout way all my children this week. And if you're speaking about calling her the Julia Roberts of podcasting, you remember? Do you know that Julia Roberts was like obsessed with Days of Our Lives? Uh, I, that sounds familiar. I don't know if I remember yeah, that. Maybe I brought it up on here, but she was obsessed. And one year, I believe it like the Soap Opera Digest Awards um, or the Daytime Emmys, whichever one, uh, she introduced the um, clip for Days of Our Lives. Whoa, what the... F- and everybody there just like gasped. Marlena from Days of Our Lives like fell backwards in her chair. It's like mid-90s too. So this is like the height of Julia Robert. Okay, she was like dodging weddings and watching Days of Our Lives. <laughs> right. And in, in movies like Something to Talk About. I love her weird forgotten <laughs> movies from that time. Like Dying Young. She just isn't everything, you know? Actually, you know what? It makes a lot of sense when you look at Julia Roberts's personal life too that she was like tuned in days of our lives every day i mean a a word i usually don't say because it's so overused but the word is chaotic i mean (laughs) what was going on in her life some of the things are beyond belief (laughs) also julia roberts i'm sure i've brought up this distinction before but she's so an actress i'm trying to like someone like Cher or where the thing is it's not that they're like supermodels the thing is that they look amazing sarah jessica parker looks amazing julia roberts amazing you know Mm -hmm. um you know what random um julia roberts um movie i was thinking about i guess it's not random because it's been remade but 
Um, Flatliners. Oh, um, well, my fa- my friends, uh, Erica Tomasabi, Anusha Tomasabi are obsessed with Flatliners. It comes up absolutely every time I hang out with them. So actually, I have to avoid talking about Flatliners sometimes. But yes, uh, I love that ensemble. Do you want to know where I first watched Flatliners? It was in high school. As I went to Marquette High School um, in Milwaukee, which was an all-boys Jesuit school, we watched Flatliners in theology class because we discussed the ramifications of dying and coming back to life. Wow. I love... (laughs) Actually, you know what? Mad respect to teachers who would like try to like pair real lessons with just movies to keep you entertained. Like it seems like something a substitute teacher does while they, you know, recover from a hangover. But uh, no, I remember in a psychology class, we watched A Beautiful Mind. I'm sorry, you're not learning anything real about the human mind watching A Beautiful Mind, but I appreciate the effort. (laughs) Uh, Oh, and I just realized um, the Flatliners was also shot on my college campus, Loyola Chicago. Oh, you're right. Uh, That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I watched Mystic Pizza not too long ago. Very pleasant film. Annabeth Gish. My icon. Right. Where did you go, sweetie? Yeah. I mean, listen, justice for Annabeth Gish, because I still stand to reason that Monica Reyes on The X-Files was a great character. I know fans don't oh. like her, but I fucking loved her. X-Files is a, is a blind spot for me. I've never seen it. Oh. You should watch the Brady Bunch episode. It's a last season episode, and people are sort of like, eh, about it. Uh, we're at about the season then and her, but it's like the penultimate episode, and it is about the Brady Bunch house where they filmed it um, in L.A. Um, being haunted. And the whole joke was like, this wasn't the house because they filmed it on a soundstage, but the house looks exactly like it, and it's haunted by like a ghost. And what's weird is now that house for real is the Brady Bunch house, yeah. right? Like inside, like they made it so yeah, that it I think it's, looks like that. I think that. it's about that house. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, uh, Marie McCormick on Twitter seems like a cool person. Uh, the other ones remain like we used to, remember when you couldn't avoid Christopher Knight on VH1. Now I don't know what the hell happened to him. Yeah, he was everywhere. <laughs> yeah, Peter Brady. He would have like three different shows. He was on The Surreal Life. Then he had that show with Adrian Curry. From Joliet, Illinois, who says cafeteria in college the same way I do. Um, every time I think about the Brady Bunch, by the way, um, I always get sad because at some point when I was like younger, um, either before I'd come out or when I was just coming out, I like was reading like biography or something on Robert Reed, and his life was depressing. Oh, well, I mean, he was just one of those, like, I, I think the people around him knew he was gay. Um, like Susan Olsen on that show who played Cindy, she said she's she knew Bob Reed was gay by the time she was, whatever, six when she started that show. But you're right. He was like a closeted yeah. to the public actor. Yeah. Uh, a tragic gay lotto, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, I think. Anyway, we should start this what episode. What the fuck is going on this episode? Um, we're going to talk about, um, believe it or not, I thought we were done talking about Don't Worry Darling last week, but I kind of did too. Yeah. But it is, it is as, as the world is turning, um, there is more going on (laughs) with this movie. Um, 
and a lot going on at the Venice Film Festival, which, for the longest, I kept thinking it was Cannes. Right. They aren't the same thing. Yeah. Yes, one's one's, in, one's in Italy and the other one's in Paris. Well, Paris adjacent France. When I think of the Venice Film Festival, the definitive image is when Gaga was in A Star Is Born and she had those pictures on that the boat. The boat, yes. Mm-hmm. That that was my thing. I was my brain was reminding me Venice. They all enter on the boat. Can um, the women are yelled at um, if they don't dress properly? And Kristen Stewart right. always yes. ignores it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Looking smashing always. Yeah, uh, and also Lord of the Rings is back. Which I, I apparently like, of course, 775 million people watch whatever that episode was. I have not seen it. And I've told Ira that his task today is to convince me to watch it if, in fact, he liked it. Though I don't know if he liked it yet. So oh. stay tuned for this thrilling reveal. You'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll be right back with more Keep It. Celebrate Brew Good Work Week with Crooked Coffee's first ever sale. Nothing gets us in the fall spirit like a good cup of coffee, so Crooked Coffee is having a sale to help you make it through the shorter days and the long to-do list we all have coming up. Now, through this Sunday, September 11th at 11.59 Pacific Standard Time, get free shipping when you spend $35 or more. Use code FUELUP at checkout. As always, every Cricket Coffee order supports Register Her, an organization working to register and activate millions of women across the country to vote. So, if you want to sound like Lovett when he's doing stand-up at the beginning of Love It or Leave It, head to Cricket.com slash coffee and stock up on some delicious dark or medium roast while supplies last. You need all that caffeine. That's Cricket.com slash coffee. U.S. only. Exclusions apply. Amazon's new Lord of the Rings series, The Rings of Power, premiered last week to mostly positive reviews, save for the evil white people on the internet who hate every fantasy thing at this point. Mm. Uh, they're spending they're spending their time between hating this and hating She-Hulk. It must be a very busy time for them. Uh, are you a She-Hulk fan? I actually love She-Hulk. What's what's its primary thing we're supposed? It's funny. It's right? funny. It's funny. It it really uses the fact that like in the in the actual comics, like she would like break the fourth wall and sort of drag um, male Marvel comics readers. So it works now too on the TV show, and it's actually the most like network, almost ABC sitcom version of a Marvel show you've ever seen. Right, that's sort of the feel I get There's from popular the, music uh, in materials. it. Uh, yeah, it's just funny. Like it's a sitcom. It's fun. I think. I think the confusing thing is actually the casting of Tatiana because we don't associate her with that kind of acting at all. No, you would never guess it was that. You know? But let me let me tell you, she can twerk. Oh, I saw that <laughs> clip. Yeah. And I said, I don't know, but apparently a lot of people like it, so that's good to hear. Um, <laughs> but. This is also the most expensive TV show ever made. So it's the scream video of television. 
<laughs> Can you believe Scream is, is still number one? Like, I, it must be adjusted for inflation. That's really crazy to me. Yeah. For a split second, it was Bedtime Stories by Madonna, which that's a video that holds up. But anyway. Uh, so this show, I... I don't know if I can recommend it to you. What I need to know is, did you like the movies? Okay, here's my memory of the movies. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So I had um, a Mormon friend in high school who, for his, I think his birthday, which was in December, we all went and saw the first one. And it, it's one of those movies where I felt like a completely different species from the people who liked it because I was so... I, I liked some of the acting, but it was so... Am- are they not just walking in that film? It's like the fucking road. Yeah. We're still walking. Yeah. I, I was I was so bored that I, I skipped the two towers, which people... Uh, m- I remember my friend Elise being very obsessed about being like, Louis, do you like the two towers? It's more action-packed, as if that's what I want in a movie. Sometimes my friends don't see me. Um, and then uh, Return of the King, I did watch, and I... I remember liking parts of it, but I also don't think about that movie ever. So I never, it just never, it's not my brand at all. You know, in 2003, I was very concerned with Monster and whether Christina Ricci could get a supporting actress nomination. Didn't get it, by the way. Yeah. Um, I, my memory of the movies is, is, you know, that um, they, each one came out during finals week. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And each time my friend, uh, my friend Ben uh, at the time took me to the movies to see them. We went like right after our early mo- morning final, which I was just thinking about high school in general um, the other day. I think maybe because of reading like um, Betty's book, but like the concept of the fact that we had to be at class at like what, like seven fucking thirty in the morning. Oh yeah. Insane. No, I mean it's crazy. Yeah, no, I I don't I'm not working in an ER. What's happening here? I feel like that's why athletes And sometimes and sometimes you would have gym class in the morning, right. which was insane. Yeah, gym class's first period was terrorism. But also I feel like that's why most athletes are like morning people because then I was thinking, oh yeah, if we are starting class this early, you would do like practice for like football or like swim practice like at five thirty AM. Right. Yeah. Which, what's wrong with that? Absolutely people? Anyway. insane. Um, but because they were during finals and the final would be like so fucking early in the morning, I'd get to the theater. I passed out in the middle of all three of these movies. <laughs> I, I, you know what? They're wrong. I, I, I unfortunately, I, I'm like the movie guy, right? Like I'm obsessed with movies. If I'm even remotely tired, I generally speaking, might have a moment where I pass out, even if it's a good movie. I, I I fell asleep during Spencer, and that's supposed to be, you know, an acid trip of the mind, and yet I still fell asleep. I, but then I went back to the theater and saw it again because I'm a responsible listen, viewer. I am I am just constantly tired. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I, I well, listen. You're, fantastic, you're like a Kathy mug Fantastic now. show. Yeah. Um, I need to see um, um, Kate Berlant's Kate again because I did fall asleep for five minutes of it. <laughs> Poor Kate Berlant, who is in Don't Worry, Darling, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Um, she's, it's an amazing show, though, by the way. Uh, side note, Bo Burnham directed it, and uh, it is playing at the Connolly Theater um, in New York City. It's still in previews. It is hysterical, uh, and it plays with the format of like what theater and a one-woman show is. She, uh, I mean, is one of a kind. I, somebody has made this note on the internet before, and actually, I think I remember Bo Burnham commenting on it. That Kate Berlant 
is someone who who did something so successfully her sense of humor being like this like off kilter feigning kind of crazy if you know Kate Berlant's style just look up look, look her up on YouTube and become acquainted immediately she was so immediately copied by everybody else that you would forget she came up with it yeah she's the OG yeah uh, yeah, extremely funny. I cannot wait to see her show. And then the, it's been going around recently that before the show, she just sits in the lobby while people walk in and holds a sign saying, don't look at me. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. You, when you first walk into, there's, um, it's, you know, has a photo of her. It says Kate from Atlanta as Kate. And then there's a mirror too. And it says you as the audience. Marina Abramovich d- jumped out. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to these hobbits and elves. Oh, yeah, right, which we're so into. Keep going. I <laughs> Here's the thing. I wait, love wait, House of Dragon. I love House of Dragon, which is mm-hmm. admittedly worse than this show. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's worse than this show. Rings of Power is actually like very beautifully written, very beautifully acted. Uh, I love, you know, that it actually feels like, you know, it has the mystical stuff going on, but it also has people who feel like real people in it too, who are dealing with all this stuff. You can tell they're real people because they haven't washed their hair um, and they're wearing rags uh, and they're, you know, usually running around on a farm somewhere. Um, And House of the Dragon for me, like, I feel like what it's actually missing is like the, um, like the poor people, you know, it has, it has Uh a lot of the like castle intrigue, but you don't know how it's affecting any of the people in Westeros. Oh, As opposed got to, it, got it. you know, Game of Thrones felt like it was vast and was about the, you know, entire world that it was in. Um, you want the upstairs and the downstairs, yeah, if you will. You know, um, Rings of Power is, is fine. It's fun. Now, do, wait, is Galadriel, see, here here I am keying into what Kate I remember Blanchett. about the movies. Right. Is, is there a version of her in so this? So she's the lead. Got She's it. the lead. But it's not Kate Blanchett, obviously. No. Who the fuck is it? Yes. Morfit Clark. I'm sure I've pronounced this name horribly wrong because she's Swedish and Welsh. <laughs> okay, but that's approximating Blanchett. I know, like, if you put those two together, that's Australia to me. Right. You know, and she she was in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. She played Georgiana Darcy in that. Um, so, you know, she's been around. But uh, okay, she's, great. she's actually quite good. You know, it's really sort of about her um, on her journey to, you know, find um, Sauron, um, the big, the big bad, um, who she believes is still around and lurking evilly and no one else believes her. So um, that's what it's about. And she's rallying oh, troops okay. to take care of him. And it's I, I found it a very fun pleasant watch i actually did not fall asleep during it which is shocking because i fell asleep during the movies uh i think that the series will actually allow itself to sort of world build more than a film can um Mm. and i'm just i'm gonna watch it in defiance of like the the trolls on the internet who hate it which by the way i would like people to stop responding to these people because I feel like we've been doing this for years at this point. The series' ratings are insane. So who cares? Yeah, right. We're going to get spinoff after spinoff of this damn They're thing. yelling so, at the air I mean, at this point. You know, it's like it's like the same people who are like doing these long threads on Twitter about how they they paid their um, student loans. So other people shouldn't 
um, get their student loans like you know um, right. uh-huh. forgiven and I'm like well the government's already doing it so your tweet thread doesn't matter so why are people quote yeah, tweeting the- and arguing with them move on yeah, they are shouting at the air. Now, is the reason that people hate this show because it's like Galadriel-led? Yeah, sort of that, but also like the um, the 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 Hobbit-ish characters. And they're not actually Hobbits. Um, whatever the name for them is. I haven't read any of these books, and I don't know how much of the book is being referenced and how much is not being referenced, but I also know that they don't have the rights to like the main three texts so there's there's mm. a lot that they're sort of making up in between too there's some freestyling going on um <laughs> y'all y'all listen to x-ray vision if you really want the lowdown of right, this because you're not gonna get it from here okay um, no, we, <laughs> this ain't the oscars thank god you gotta for bring your podcast. own cups up thank- in here <laughs> <laughs> um, i'm trying to even think of the last uh, fantasy thing I really connected with because what comes to mind is the first Tomb Raider movie, which by the way is terrible, and I know you're a fan, but like the aerodynamics oh. of the jumping around there, that's as close to fantasy as I can dial into. Do you prefer Miss Vikander? Did I say that? Did I say that? Does one mean the other? No, I didn't. <laughs> I actually watched a few scenes from the Vikander one, and I mean the act the, the, the set pieces are perfectly fine. You know, they did the action part of it. Well Do you enough. prefer the cradle of life? Because that is also an acceptable answer. No. I remember thinking that was unbearable, but <laughs> also I feel like we get more Voight in that one, right? Mm, yeah, at Gerard Butler. Right. That was the beginning of Gerard Butler for us. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I think that um Jan DeBont was in his bag, okay? Wow, I forgot that was a Jan okay. DeBont. Speed Joint. Twister. Come on. This is an icon. Speed. Uh, I mean, I fucking love Speed. Talk about a, a movie that's impossible to fall asleep to. Did he direct Speed to Cruise Control? Yes. Are we going to discuss that film? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> that may still be the definitive sequel flop of all time. It truly is. And I love how Sandra Bullock is just sort of like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that movie. <laughs> Right. No, I mean, well, also she was in like 80 other successful movies around the same time, too. So it, she, she's never really had to even answer for it. Yeah. But um, anyway, I enjoy it. I'm going to keep watching it. Um, I think that um, I will I will put in an honest, truthful effort into watching yeah. the show. I will. I was, but again, I think I brought this up in regards to the Game of Thrones show. If there are too many discussions over chalices, I'm out. <laughs> I, I just. <laughs> I immediately tune out. I don't want anything to look like chess while I'm watching a drama. That's why. So. That's why Goblet of Fire is your least favorite Harry Potter. Uh, right, and I rank them constantly. Actually, I can't even sit through those movies. Uh. I remember I watched the first one in theaters, and you know the kids are cute. They look like Fisher Price little people in the first couple ones, and then you know moving on, I'm like, I'm not like Ray Fiennes is one of my favorite actors, but like they made him look like that. I just don't care. Um, yeah, it's weird for a person who's you know loves like Game of Thrones and like Buffy's my favorite TV show. And I was spent the weekend like talking with someone about how much I love Charmed, the actual fan like the hard fantasy like this like doesn't pull me in. And I've certainly never read these books, and I've certainly will never read them. No, I I mean literally like one of my favorite movies 45 years with uh, Charlotte Rampling 
which is like hard reality. Like people are just sitting around upset, like in real life. And uh, even the part where she learns that her husband's ex-girlfriend like fell in a crevasse or something. That's almost too unbelievable for me. Like that there was even a step. There was even a plot point that referenced something that felt too extreme to be real. Um, That almost took me out of it. So uh, I, I just need to retrain my brain to understand that fantasy is, you know, the imagination running wild and I should really embrace it. By the way, you also just brought up uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, we should acknowledge Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar have been married for 20 years now and they, uh, they're like the Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy of the Kevin Williamson universe, which rad, but apparently there's an old clip of Howard Stern where he's like, you two are going to get fucking divorced, whatever, and I'll pay you like a million dollars if you actually stay together. And now Sarah Michelle Gellar's holding him to that. <laughs> anyway, now I, now I stand Sarah Michelle Gellar. Get your coins, sis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, um, I love that there's been a renaissance and people uh, appreciate the fact that the Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed are great movies. I don't know that I ever saw Monsters Unleashed because I, you know, was a thinking adult at the time when they came out. You were out, afraid so of the monsters. They were, they were unleashed. <laughs> and you were like, keep them caged. <laughs> because, right. No, I, it has to be like the zoo. I have to be able to just walk past them and, you know, sort of exchange a glance and move on. If they're unleashed, I'm unsafe. They all, also, James Gunn wrote them. So they're basically like Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, they're funny. They're self-referential. Which, I, um anyway um got it got it all right well i'll watch that other fantasy masterpiece too i wish someone would adapt my real fantasy og though the canterbury tales <laughs> i love the you really canterbury see that? i love the canterbury tales i don't know why do you do you the worst thing i did in college i took um a class um an english class where we learned Middle English? What? We okay. read the Canterbury Tales in its original Middle English. And listeners, I have to tell you, I got a C minus in that class. Well, it sounds like a class for people who are determined to remain, shall we say, virgins. Uh, but whatever, you got to say the Miller with the proper dialect, so good for you. Yeah, those books are very horny. Are they really? Yeah. The Canterbury Tales. Chaucer. He was going through some things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good take on the Canterbury Tales. I've not heard it before. All right. It's going to light up uh, the literary universe. This is what the Keeper listeners want to hear. Right. Wow. All right. Okay. Well, let's get to Don't Worry, Darling. The, the listeners deserve it. Well, first, Betty Gopin joins us. Uh, we'll be right back with Betty Gopin. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home 
blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. So you've seen her in The Tomorrow War, Gaslit, and her breakout role in Glow. Her new book, All the Women in My Brain and Other Concerns, is available now. And I have to say straight away, there are so many women in her brain. Uh, (laughs) They're listed in the book and it is harrowing. And we're thrilled to welcome back to keep it the delightful and rad as hell Betty Gilpin. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Hi. First of all, I am obsessed with this cover. Oh, thanks. Like, I love yeah. book art. And I want to say that, like, I would, this is like book art. I would like, you would want to see, like, hung in a wall, uh, hung on yeah, a wall, you I, know. Like it's a beautiful. good wallpaper accent wall for a bathroom, maybe. Yeah. A whimsical Palm Springs <laughs> bathroom. <laughs> yes. No, also, I mean, like, the doll heads thing, it's reminding me a little bit of, I want to say the original artwork for Exile and Guyville has some mut- uh, mutilated 
doll heads on it or something. Oh. I'm hoping that's an inspiration. Cool. Yeah, I was very nervous about, I definitely didn't want to be, I think my greatest fear is people will think that I wrote this thinking like, everyone knows who I am, so I should write a book. And I felt like that's the opposite of what I feel. And I thought being on the cover would solidify that uh, fallacy that like, if it was like me shrugging, holding you know, <laughs> a tragic and comic mask well, like, in a, on a toilet. Suit, it's very of course. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> I do miss that era of like like a Jane Pauley book cover where her like head's in her hand and she's you know thinking I'm going to tell you about the news but this time in a book right yes you know? yeah I would always get my dad would always get me and my brothers for Christmas my brothers would get like Lincoln biographies and I would get like Terry Gar flooring it through Hollywood <laughs> at first I was like this is so sexist like I kind of would rather read Terry Gar's book <laughs> uh, but nonetheless among among celebrities I think you are the number one person I was waiting for to write a book because your writing style is so specific you can you can hear it just in the title alone but my first question is in writing about yourself are you a fast writer or slow writer because these like images like namely the metaphors you use are so specific to you that I assume they come to you immediately and you don't even have to try to come up with them but how, how what's your process like I am a fast writer and it, it, writing a book really worried me because my only writing experience for this book was writing the handful of essays, like five or six that I've published, AKA sat on my computer and emailed them uh, to whatever lamps.com published it. Um, uh, and, you know, it felt very, very low stakes. And like, I was on a plane and wrote a thing and emailed it. And I knew that with a book, it involved um, thought and outline and pitching before you actually write the thing. And I just thought like, oh gosh, is that gonna sort of disrupt the creative process where I just, um, I think I write how some people are actors, which I feel elitist about and infuriates me. And now I am that with writers. I see some people don't have any, uh, they're not in their heads at all about acting and don't really think about it. And they're like, oh, I just memorize and show up. I'm like, do we even know who Brecht is? is that's kind of how i am as a writer like, oh i just sort of wrote i didn't know about it and now i i don't know a long way of saying i did write fast and now write slow and now speak like this <laughs> uh i yeah. want to talk about how this even came to you you know you just got you said um you know you wrote something out first and sort of like emailed that off was was this something that was like rattling in your brain during the pandemic, obviously, or was it like you just had like the idea to write one thing and then you were like, oh, maybe this isn't like an essay to put like, I don't know, and like Vulture or something. This is going to be a book. Yeah, I think that there were these ideas brewing for a while and uh, I had wanted to write a collection of essays. I, you know, I, I think that I just um, always felt like uh you know, like when I was a big stoner, I never really learned how to roll a joint. So I was like, why not let the best joint roller in the room roll the joint? Why have a mediocre joint? And I kind of felt like that about books too. Sort of like, if it's not going to be Tolstoy, Didion, why write the book? Um, and then I would go into a bookstore and pick up the worst book I thought was on the uh, whatever display table and read a page and be like, this fucking person wrote a book and didn't care. Like, what? <laughs> we should all just press file print on our mediocrity because the tsunami's coming. Um, 
So <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I had a, I had a baby and, um, in, in quarantine and the hormones that come right after a baby, it's like, like the, every idea is a good idea. Like you're at a rave constantly of your own validation inside your mind. So I wrote the book during that time and sent it before the hormones changed into like, every idea is bad and the world is dark. I was like, can I unsend the email of the book? They were like, no. <laughs> yeah. um, again, because you're such a, 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 a swift writer, seemingly, what is the kind of stuff that you find actually hardest to write? I mean, you, you, you're self-deprecating in a way throughout the book that makes me think, oh, it's uncomfortable for you to share certain things. But you also are so exactly articulated about it in your as we've already heard, demented way that I can't imagine it was actually all that hard altogether. But what were the most difficult parts of the book for you? Well, I would say exactly what you're saying in that, like, I feel like I am now part of um, something that makes me cringe so hard about current culture that I'm completely contributing to, which is the branding of self-loathing and insecurity of like, uh, ding, ding, ding. I have an announcement. Everyone look at me. The announcement is, whoa, I'm an introvert. Why are you guys looking at me? Because <laughs> like, you told us to look at you. You wrote a, like, you know, I, I write a lot about, yes, self-deprecation and hating myself and depression, but I'm an actor who wrote a book about themselves. I'm not like a cowering introvert in Antarctica. So I think that was the hardest part of, of just, you know, catching my own eyes in the mirror being like, yeah, you're writing about these themes, but you are sitting down and being like, and then I did this. So are you a hypocrite? But I tried to also lace that in too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think we all try to find the like uh, middle ground between hating ourselves so much and insecure uh, in a way that gives us perspective on ourselves and the world, but not so much that we're not hiding in a room, not sharing any of our work. Like it's, it's the perfect balance of narcissism and hating yourself to put things out into the world. <laughs> oh, how refreshing. Thank you for putting it exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember last time you were here, you know, you talked about your acting process so specifically, and I just wonder like, how does that as an artist, like uh, how do you feel like your writing process sort of informs that or are do you, are they like two separate sort of like beasts that you turn on um i no i think they're similar in the like just disabling trying it's like trying to trick yourself out of the hiccups like just trying to disable a voice in your head that's like this is happening right now like almost like when you're stoned you're like what do i do with my hands like i feel like just trying to disable that voice of like, it's happening right now. Is this good? Why are you doing this? Um, like I, I, and I, I, I really think being in quarantine and not literally not having any other human voices around um, to, to get in my head really helped with the book. You know, I think similarly with acting, I'm really finding it an interesting not struggle adjustment I would say you know the first 10 years out of college I was really only doing off-Broadway theater where like the failures and successes uh were pretty quiet and in a vacuum sort of and now that um you know I'm in this blip of time where 
a few more ears and eyes are pointed towards me, whether or not they're liking what I'm doing or not. It just feels a little less for free. I get a little superstitious that, um, to me, it's like the difference between a podcast and a live podcast where you can tell the hosts are just a little turned out to the audience. And I, it always makes me a little sad. And I feel like I can chart that with actors too, of like, like the kids in Harry Potter. I feel like as the movies went on, you could tell that they were a little more aware that like it's for more people. And I, I think it just gets harder to be authentic when you're like playing to the audience. And I just get, I don't know, I, I, I get superstitious about that. Like does success equal becoming a bad actor? <laughs> I worry. <laughs> I mean, there, that must have been somewhat surreal when you found yourself alongside Sean Penn and Julia Roberts, like d- definitive <laughs> actors, like so, like the thing you were doing casually and on stage. And you, as you said, in a vacuum is now with like the people who are in the Wikipedia article for <laughs> movie star. Yes, totally. Completely. Yeah. Although I feel like that tips over into like when you're that big of a star, not that they you can control the environment to make it as comfortable as possible for yourself in order to do the work that you need to do. Like I remember the other day doing a scene in this nun show I'm doing and they were like, Oh, can you look at this piece of tape on the camera instead of your scene partner? He'll be right there. You just do the dramatic scene to the tape instead of him. And your brain, your it's so, I'm sure you guys have, it's just so hard for your brain to compute like, tape not that person tape not that person and we did one take and I was like I'm so sorry can we do it to him can we find a way and like I don't know 10 years ago I never would have had the balls or whatever to say that and I feel like Julie Roberts and Sean Penn can be like can the tape not exist and that sound and this person okay now I'm ready to do the scene I don't know it's it's it is kind of an advantage (laughs) I think about that way, just... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Last time I mentioned that we all have the same birthday, and I just want to clarify, we have the same birthday and birth year. Like, we were the three of us were yes. born within weeks of each other. Yeah. Right. You're, July, you're July 86, and I was July 86, yeah. right? And I'm August 86. Yeah. Yes. Like, we were high-fiving across, at, we were astral projecting <laughs> to each other as infants. Just wanted yes. to say that. <laughs> Waiting, we were all, our parents are all sitting around waiting for the movie Platoon to come out. And <laughs> they're like, I guess I'll give birth. They're like, I can't yeah. believe we're going to miss Platoon premiere. <laughs> <laughs> I also have okay, this, anyway. no, I also have this theory too. And maybe it's, I think you agree that maybe it was yours too, Lewis, that like everyone born like specifically when we were, our first movie in theaters was The Little Mermaid. Yes, that was oh, mine. yeah. yeah. Totally. I feel like it's the yeah. first one where you're old enough where your parents are like, I'm taking you to the movies and here's this Disney thing that's out. Yes, completely. Yes. And now um, being old enough to have like the sad clothes that we wore in middle school be like irony wear for Olivia Rodrigo yes. is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm like, oh, that's that's where we're at. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm ha- I, and I have like a millennial MAGA reaction to that clothing where I'm like, I, I already remember having to dress like I knew about skateboarding yes. from the ages of 11 through 16. And I refuse to go back. Yes, so completely. I, 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 I believe Olivia is the, the enemy yes. hairstyle and really couldn't. <laughs> yeah. No, it takes me back when I see like a Skechers and a lollipop and the Thumbelina. 
I, it takes me back to being at a Montessori school for uh, middle school. And I had gotten like antibiotics for something not exciting. And I kept the orange pill bottle. And like when someone would come around the hallway, I would take the empty bottle and be like, <laughs> like to have them think that I was on pills. <laughs> that's, that's every time I see Olivia Rodrigo, I'm like, oh my God, I was a disturbed child in those clothes. <laughs> that's where I go. <laughs> She's appropriating your, yes, your, uh... yeah, yeah, my, my Blanche Dubois as, yeah, a seventh grader skater who'd never skated. <laughs> that would sell in the room, by the way, and it would sell to me. So if you want to pitch that, selling right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I want to also know is, you know, you know, you you were joking about like the Terry Gar book, you know, versus like Lincoln, you know, like what, um, the what, age like, essay- old, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the two genders, Brian yes, Murphy, right. get on this dude, yes. <laughs> what essay books like do you like enjoy? You know, like what inspired you, um, or like made you feel like you know this is my this is my research for doing this. You know, the same way that you have, you know your research to, that made you become an actress? I mean, I, uh, I really love Eve Babbitt's. Um, oh, me mm. too. I kind of, when she died, there was like a moment where we talked about her, but yes. there needs to be more. There really needs to be more. Um, and I always, re- I'm, I'm filming right now in LA and you know, I'm a New Yorker. And whenever I land in LA, I'm like, I need to read Eve Babbitt's to try to, connect to the hit i just think of la as only ever existing now it's like a pilot season bubble to me i'm like no this place has history as well people were artsy and drunk here in the 70s just like they were in your and reading eve babbitts to me is kind of the portal to connecting to the the blood and soil of los angeles um i really love her uh and i don't know like sloan crosley um it i would say it's very interesting doing book press as opposed to actor press where you know, usually it's like um, you're playing with puppies and soundbiting your personality by talking <laughs> about how, you know, feminism is adorable. Um, and now it's like, what are, what tomes are you reading? Like, oh, my God, I'm reading the rewrite of episode seven and I, I'm having trouble getting through it. <laughs> so, you know, while I do read, I wouldn't say I'm like, um, you know, a human library on wheels. Although maybe I am. I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> the weird the weird thing about LA is like I a lot of it looks like we all, we built it like 15 years ago but actually if you like are walking around West Hollywood it's like no the place where like Janis Joplin was 10 minutes before she died is still there and the same totally. you know it's just next yes. to a Barry's boot camp now yes. yeah yeah I listen to a lot of uh what's the podcast uh, you must remember this early yes. in the pandemic love Karina <laughs> Yes. Before Glow was canceled, I listened to it, waiting for waiting for Glow to start up again. And I would Google all the old houses that she would meet, like Betty Davis's house and drive to it and sit outside and then drive home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You occupying yourself during the pandemic must have been uh, a, a real challenge. I mean, you're just a, 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 shall we say, spunky brained person. What were your favorite techniques? I mean, you know, I, I got pregnant like March 13th 2020 um so much of the pandemic was just being pregnant and I think uh I I think it was you know in the book I talk about how I've I'm pretty good at being like the sidekick or you know cycled selves uh for whoever is in whatever role or 
person, whatever. Um, and I think I was always afraid to be pregnant because I was like, oh, that's for people who know exactly who they are and what to do and what vitamins to take and have the right research and an organized purse and doing it in a vacuum by myself. I mean, with my husband, but in quarantine where there were no other like voices chiming in, it was, I got to sort of play the part of, I don't know, a good Island person. So a lot of it was just, yeah, being pregnant and looking at Betty Davis's house. Uh, And a lot of watching YouTube videos of like, big guy moments in football that are emotional and I'm not a football like that's how I missed society like you know heartwarming sportsmanship moments in baseball but I I don't like sports at all (laughs) and then like Susan Lucci winning the Emmy I I watched a lot Iconic oh, sure. moment. Yes. Yes. Thank Where, you, Shamar Rosie O'Donnell's yes. screaming tears. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Watch it if you haven't. <laughs> Actually, Rosie O'Donnell winning an Emmy once upon a time where she thanks Oprah. It's like, I think she wins. It's the first time she wins for the Rosie O'Donnell show. And she thanks Oprah and says, literally, I have a scrapbook of you. And it was like the kind of thing that was is a compliment. But if she wasn't saying it in an Emmy speech, it would sound like she was like threat, like threatening Oprah. Like, I'm right. coming after you, Oprah. <laughs> I have your text. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, no, it's it's interesting that you even mentioned like Eve and um, you must remember this because I feel like you know as a person who you know spends time in both New York and LA, um, I feel like I was drawn to noir films so much just because they feel like the one sort of like Hollywood film that has documented Los Angeles. In the way that, you know, like comedies, you know, like, you know, like a Woody Allen or a Scorsese, you know, like those like were very much like we are documenting New York City. But L.A. more has it's just people were committing murder. Completely. (laughs) And I'm the show, the nun show, Mrs. Davis, um, we film a lot of it on the Warner Brothers lot in um, stage 16, which is like a really, really tall stage. Mm -hmm. And they have outside on a plaque, all the movies that have been filmed there. It's like the big sleep and Goonies. And I mean, now that Goonies is noir. um, (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Um, But, you know, I'm yeah thinking about like Lauren Bacall walking around, memorizing her lines you know, falling in love with Humphrey Bogart. It's, you know, I, my, I grew up sort of obsessed with theater and mm-hmm. I don't have like Allie Bree and I talk all the time about, she has like an encyclopedic knowledge of film in a way that I really don't um, reason truly and why I would never want to direct anything. I just don't see uh, our jobs like that. Um, mm-hmm. Just have like, have like perfect picture memory of, of movies and stuff. But I, I don't know. I'm trying to get Lewis. I feel like you do. You have an encyclopedic knowledge. So. Oh, I have somebody put a chip in me in an early age. It doesn't feel like I ever learned it. It's just sitting there. Right. Oh. And can you like picture movies like that? Can you like frames and stuff? And do you have what's the. Y- yes, but I'm not one of those people where I would really necessarily be able to like identify every quote from a movie. Like some you bring up a right. movie and then they can say five things from it. It's I, I'm more like I, I know the Wikipedia's of movies really well. Yes. Right. Oh, I was thinking um, when we were waiting to get into the Zoom 
of this. I was thinking about the lore story of the premiere of the women that Norma Shearer and Joan Crawford, like both circled the premiere like 20 times. Cause they both didn't want to be the first one <laughs> like before cell phones. Like how did that happen? Like just slowly going by. She's not there yet. If we were Joan Crawford and Norma Shearer entering the zoom. <laughs> Thank you for putting it exactly in my language. I've never felt more seen before. You can be Joan if you want to. I'll be Norma. I guess so. Ira, I guess that that makes you Joan Fontaine or Rosalind yes. Russell or George Cukor, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Would be it. yeah. Yes. The Women is the movie I would watch every day when I was sick for like for school. Mm. Yeah. I also I don't know if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race at all. Do you? <sighs> you know. I did, and then it it makes me uncomfortable in the same way that all reality TV makes me uncomfortable. I just get nervous for everyone. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Well, uh, I, Rosalind Russell in The Women looks exactly like RuPaul's Drag Race winner, Viola Chashki. I need somebody to like, oh, yes. just like put them together. Totally. It's very, like it's bone Like a pile of tight curls and like a, yes. like a scarf. Yes. Totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Important for me to bring up exactly in this moment. I also want to say, uh, quickly, speaking of acting, you are the child of actors, as is established in this book. Yes. And you you go into, I mean, you you basically start the book by saying, and this is why I am the way I am. Right. Uh, to, to explain everything that we read going forward. But what is it like having two actors as parents? I find that to be an incredibly strange situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, it wasn't strange growing. It didn't seem strange. And now being an actor, I'm like, whoa, that was so weird. <laughs> um uh, yeah, they did. So I grew up in New York and, you know, New York actors in the, uh, from 86 on, um, you know, in the eighties and nineties, New York actors did mostly theater and law and order. And that's really what my parents did. And then like, my parents are in a handful of like a, a Chevy Chase movie. My mom has three lines in Moonstruck. My dad was in Revenge of the Nerds part two, Nerds in Paradise. Just like a handful of things that are on at 3am where you're like, Oh my God. Um, and my dad, his soul has sort of always been a 71 year old Butler, probably since he was three years old. And now he <laughs> plays church on Gilded Age as a 71 year old Butler. And it just feels like something in the universe, like clicked into place. All is right in the universe. He's so good on that show. Um, and yeah, I would say I'm sort of half my dad and half my mom. My dad is very stern butler atticus finch person and my mom is lucille ball complete farce incarnate of a woman fiery fiery red hair um and i'm kind of half of each of them and yeah i sort of grew up in stage managers booths memorizing their plays and um really you know fell in love with it uh through honestly like them talking shit in their dressing room. So it's like, how do we get this job where it's about like talking shit in a wig cap? <laughs> I, I need that. So maybe I should I watch was... RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> I want to say there's a specific kind of movie where like all the day players in it are like New York actors. They're shooting it in, in New York. So the, like, like the movie quiz show, like my every... dad's in quiz show. That's exactly. That's what I mean. It's like, it's like, it's like how Deb, you can tell what these movies are in the nineties because Deborah Monk is in them, you know, like they just went exactly to that brand of actor. Completely. I used to have like a quiz show merch jacket. Like I used the merch I used to have, (laughs) but I just carelessly tossed away like a Kate and Allie hoodie and a quiz show jacket. Oh God. Oh God. What was the, yeah. Yeah. I had a million all gone now. 
Betty, you could have a Kate and Allie hoodie and then I could be buried in it someday. Now we're I, lost. It's lost to time. I'm desperate <laughs> to find, I've, I've scoured YouTube for my dad. My dad played the like cranky neighbor on Kate and Allie and I cannot find any cameo and I, I need to find it. Yeah. Mm. Um, I actually have an interesting question too about you discussing like act directing too, just because um, I started out in theater mostly. And I feel like the thing that draws me to wanting to direct is I at least as a writer, like love actors on the stage, you know, and working with them. And do you feel like you would be more interested in directing for the stage than you would be for film? Or is it still not something that interests you? Uh, if I could do it with somebody who loved the like shot list part and <laughs> all, all the parts that aren't talking to actors about scenes, I, I would love doing that part and just mm. sort of, um, you know, figuring out how to make a, this, the scene the best it could be just through the acting. But I, I really, you know, the more I work, the more I realize how small of a piece the acting is <laughs> and actors like if I created a show or directed a show and the actors are like the last thing to come in it takes so long to make stuff and to write stuff and to direct stuff and then and then the actors are the one that go out and and do the press I would just be so angry that like Cindy is the one who goes out and is like the thesis of the piece that Betty wrote and direct, I'd be like, get Cindy out of there. Cindy doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> so I'd be like, I, I don't know. Now knowing how hard it is to direct, yeah. I, I, I would just, the pressure of everything being on your shoulders. Ira, you want to direct film or you want to direct theater? Um, or you are directing? I, I could do both, actually. I did theater in college, actually. Directed theater in college. So, you know, I love, I think the way that cool. my mind works. Uh, I went to Loyola, Chicago for undergrad and then uh, Tisch for right. grad. Oh, cool. I just think the way that I see the stage is sort of I see the pictures first, whatever I like read anything or even write anything. And then I think about right. what the actors are doing. So Right. What was your most avant-garde production in college? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's hear about it, Laurie Anderson. Yeah, um, you hung from the ceiling, and what happened? I yeah. did in in a directing class. Um, I did scenes from Return of the King. Sorry, Exit the King. I did Exit the King. Oh, that, oh yeah, I did that Exit much the, different. I did Exit the. <laughs> we've been thinking about Lord of the Rings today. Uh, I did scenes from Exit the King, and I. Um, Speaking of like Susan Lucci, all my children, like I still watch daytime soap operas. So that was during college when my friends and I were very invested in watching like Young and the Restless on Fridays or when we didn't have class. Um, and Great. so I set had a Friday slot. That's tough. I set Exit the King in like this boardroom. Uh, and I had like, oh, and wow. I used wow. like, so and I used like walls, <laughs> like the you know the like um, divider walls. I used them. I had people opening them as like an elevator, um, because my brain was very much that if they're in a boardroom, you need to constantly see extras getting on and off an elevator as they're having the scene in the boardroom by the elevator. <laughs> La Law has brainwashed. <laughs> <laughs> I did. That's amazing. I did a Laramie project where we all would enter it was uh, everyone wore uh, white button-ups and jeans and you would enter as betty or as lewis or as ira just enter as yourself kind of look out at the audience put your hands <laughs> in your pockets and then <gasps> roll down the spine and roll up 
and you're your character. <laughs> and it was, we did um, an invited dress for, do you know who Marion Seldes was? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, sh- great interviewee, Game by the way. I looked the her up on YouTube. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we were like, we've had her on the podcast. I was like, yeah. No. She passed. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she was like the dame of the theater, wore all purple, purple scarves. I had her as a teacher in college. Um, Whoa. And she was our only audience member of our invited dress of Laramie Project. And every t- she was the best audience we've ever had because, or I've ever had to this date, because after every line, she would be like, oh, no. And she, you, <laughs> we're all like, we are, this is art. Marion is loving this. The, Lar- no. the Laramie Project um, still haunts me to this day because I did, um, I was assistant stage manager for um, our Loyola production of the Laramie Project. And our director was obsessed with more than the movement of the actors, the movement of the chairs. So can you imagine trying to mar- try chairs. imagine trying to mark where every fucking chair is in every Listen, damn scene? It's a chair scene. show. It's a chair show. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had chairs and stools and benches. Yeah, and there was. Yeah, I remember the chairs being a thing. Yeah. And I remember being on mushrooms for tech, and I didn't mean to be. <laughs> it felt disrespectful. <laughs> uh, before I move on to our final question, I just want to say there's a interview with Marion Seldes and Angela Lansbury as they uh, prepare for a production of Deuce, Deuce. that everybody should Deuce. look up. Kristen yes. Milioti gave me for my for my baby a Deuce onesie for my child. Um, we we <laughs> love Deuce. I have a Deuce magnet on my fridge. <laughs> I saw Deuce on Broadway. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, I was about to say, I, my final question was, you're, who you are do? your sort of, yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, who, who are your sort of um, kindred spirits in, in terms of fellow actors? And if Kristen Milioti is giving you deuce regalia, yeah. I'm saying she must be up there. Well, completely. I mean, in the book, I write a lot about, uh, you know, female <laughs> friendships and um, how a lot of them started as a far away eye roll and Kristen was definitely one of those people where I was losing every part to her and I was like this is a monster I never want to be near this person and then we did one play together like I die for you you're my sister um yeah Kristen we were just talking yesterday um about like what can we just do a television show together and do that for 20 years like I don't want to make self-tapes anymore and she pitched a uh, arsenic and old lace origin story is the plot oh, of our yes. so like that has to be it. That's, Oof, that's God. completely it. <laughs> Betty, it's actually painful to interview you. You're hitting too, like fire too many synapses are firing me. I'm like clutching a wall. Yeah. <laughs> Josephine Hall, please, let's go there. Yes. My dad my dad did a production of Arsenic and Old Lace uh, with Joanne Woodward at the Westport County Playhouse. And I oh. saw so many performances of it from the stage manager's booth. It was wonderful. Or what was oh. it? I don't know. <laughs> it was in my memory. <laughs> Wait, was your dad the uh, Cary Grant role? Or yeah. was he like the... the okay, got it. He was yeah. the Mortimer oh, Snurd. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. Uh, well, the... Well, thank you for being here, Betty. I mean, I loved, I love this diversion into theater talk with you. It was so much fun. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm gonna have nightmares <laughs> about the Laramie Project again now. I know. I, <laughs> I don't know why. Like my tailbone was like, "Why did you bring it up? I can't think about that anymore." I don't think anyone who did the Laramie Project in school like left a production of it unscathed. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Post your horror story. (laughs) (laughs) This can be a sharing moment for all of us. And also, I just want to reiterate, this book is so 
special and uh, just immediately gets you into the brain of Betty Gilpin, which is such a joyful, rad, strange place to be. So I'm <laughs> very thrilled uh, you wrote it. Thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Betty's book, All the Women in My Brains and Other Concerns, is out now wherever you get your books. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. The Venice International Film Festival is happening now in Italy with films like Don't Worry Darling and The Whale already generating buzz. And let me tell you, we need to get into Don't Worry Darling first because this has this has unraveled into more than chaos. No, I mean, I can't think of a film festival moment that's more insane recently. I, I have memories of the movie W.E. that Madonna directed, and I think it was pilloried immediately. <laughs> and then the people showed up, and, they, and they're such August actors, like, you know, Andrea Riseborough and uh, Abby Cornish and James Darcy. And it was, I, I remember that being extremely awkward. But this is just a new level. Like, literally, the arrangement of how these people are standing on a red carpet is like, it could only be that way because any other way, shots would be fired at each other. <laughs> um, Don't Worry Darling finally premiered uh, at the Venice Film Festival this week. And we talked last week about the, you know, the, the Florence and Olivia alleged feud. Uh, and, you know, the, yeah, the firing of Shia LaBeouf and why that happened. And was Olivia unfair to, quote unquote, Miss Flo, but, you know, kind of talking behind her back in, in an attempt to keep Shia on the movie? Um, and did that factor into... Florence Pugh not doing any press for this movie, not talking about the movie on her social media after initially being excited for it. Lots of rumors, lots of speculation. And listen, I know we wanted to go to the place of saying that um, maybe it was misogyny, you know, that was um, creating some feud between um, Florence and Olivia. But 
it seems like it's real, baby. Yeah, I, I'm. I the, the footage speaks for itself. I mean, so Florence shows up to the Venice Film Festival late, late. by the way, because because there was a report yes. that her plane um, was going to land at like one thirty or two. She arrives like fifteen minutes into the press conference in head to toe like Valentino, a three piece, a three piece. She looks fucking gorgeous. And then yes. a video of her just sauntering around with an Aperol spritz in her hand goes viral. Can I tell you something? And, I, and, and I'm a Florence Pugh stan. We bring up Lady Macbeth a lot. Loved her. Uh, Midsommar. Uh, Little Women. I didn't love the Aperol video. Mm. I kind of thought she was cooler when she was above the fray in this situation. And not. I, I'm not saying she's like participating in the drama by doing this. But it just felt a little unbothered dot gif. It felt like it felt like, you know, a present to the most basic Twitter stands. Mm, that's fair. I love her leaning. She looked amazing. She looked amazing yeah. in that she looked amazing in the dress she wore to the premiere. And I loved the gorgeous shots of her just like in the um boat on on the way to the premiere. Like there's one of her like sitting mm-hmm. in the boat and I was just like this is this is cinema. Also, I, I have to say, flying in from Budapest specifically, there's a specific Agatha Christie glamour to that, mm-hmm. which is very appropriate for the drama of this situation. Because I'm getting a and then there were none type murder vibe <laughs> from uh, this cast. I think I literally tweeted like uh, it's Hercule Poirot um, in Venice yeah. because there, there, <laughs> there, there's two more weeks till this film comes out. The only way the stakes could get higher is if someone dies. Yeah, right. Like an unrelated, like like Nick Kroll mysteriously vanishes. Well, it's like Kiki Lane wasn't even at the premiere. Right. If Beale Street could talk, if these suspects could talk. Yeah. And it's very suspicious that Kate Berlant is in previews now for her show. Yes. When this film is supposed to premiere. She couldn't wait. Hmm. Anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's a suspect. I love it. Olivia Wilde dodged questions about the feud at the um, press conference saying, as for all the endless tabloid gossip and all the noise out there, the internet feeds itself. I don't feel the need to contribute. I think it's sufficiently well nourished. Which is a way to say nothing. Um, And it also sounds like she's saying... But also true enough. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) True enough, but also... It's it's past tabloid gossip at this point. Yeah, it's right. In every say, outlet, and it's also funny yeah. that she said this. There's this whole theme going around Venice now too, because um, Timothy Chalamet, uh, when when uh, when she showed up in her halter top. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I fucking love the, the film festival press is exhausting in many ways, but. Timothy Chalamet and Kate Blanchett specifically, when they put the looks together, I'm sorry, there's just something about the two of them that like you have to look at them and you have to comment on whatever it is they're wearing because it's a combination of both old school glamour and insanity. Like, it's great. Um, but there was a whole theme running around that went from Chalamet to um, Olivia Wilde because he was just randomly talking about um, – the effect of social media when he was there promoting Bones and All. Uh, he said, to be young now and to be young whenever, I can only speak for my generation, is to be intensely judged. I can't imagine what it is to grow up without the onslaught of social media. Wow. Uh, and he thinks there's a societal, uh, press he thinks there's a societal collapse in the air. 
maybe he's secretly a bee. Uh, he sounds like one of the bees talking. Um, uh, what's interesting also is that he was also filming the movie, the next Dune movie, like Florence Pugh, mm. but he has gotten sufficient time off to do the press for the bones and all thing. So the fact that Florence she's is been doing shows, okay? Like yes. hanging out yeah. with every celebrity that's in Venice, walking the boulevard, the boardwalk, whatever they walk in Venice. Yeah. Um he he has been, it's like have you have you been shooting a movie girl? <laughs> Right. No. And the, so the fact that Florence has is, is being like, oh, sorry, I was, you know, in Hungary making my movie. I couldn't, you know, sufficiently participate in this. Period. It's like it sounds like they could have worked that out. Also, maybe you didn't like the Avril Spritz video, but I like celebrities using the people who work for them um, to do their dirty work. Yes, Florence I do enjoy is, that myself. Florence's stylist posted a photo of her um, in her dress in the hotel, you know, um, sipping uh, a drink. I think it's another Aperol Spritz, although it's darker red. It might be a Campari and soda. Uh, this is me mm. being an investigative journalist here. No, you're Hercule Poirot. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but her stylist wrote, um, just for the caption, Miss Flow. All right, so they've seen the video of Olivia. They've yeah. seen the video, and then um, Olivia's stylist put up an Instagram story that simply, like, it's, it's just a photo of a hallway. So she just took a photo uh, and then wrote ominously, there's always more to the story, dot, dot, dot. Okay. I mean, that's not evidence one way or the other. You're not helping. Also, it's like, that's so open-ended. It's like she's saying, well, Florence Pugh is a murderer. You know, like, just w like, what's the implication from that? And the stylists feuding with one another. Clearly, one of them is the yeah, suspect. Right. Clearly, one of them yeah. actually did it when, when the body drops. Right. So, by the way, crazily enough, so the, the, the movie premiered. And got a five-minute standing ovation, which, if you're familiar with press from film festivals, means it's not that good. Because <laughs> at these premieres, if you don't clap for 10 minutes, literally people clap for like 17 minutes for the movie Mud. When's the last time you saw the movie Mud, right? It seems impossible to clap for five minutes at anything. Like, I don't think I could clap for five minutes at, like, the murder of Osama bin Laden if I was there live. <laughs> and yet... People somehow sustain it because the, the stars are there and they each take time to bow and, you know, kind of acknowledge each other. Um, but five is just not that much time, which makes me think this movie is like a C minus, though I am now extremely intrigued and still have to see it. Also, Florence left after four minutes of the clapping. Right. And did not look at Olivia the entire time she was standing there. Did not. And so that is all of the drama that's gone on between them. Now we have to talk about Harry Styles. <laughs> it's so and like and he, his drama drags in Chris Pine. Like everybody gets a moment in this. The first bit of it is the fact that no one knows if Harry Styles or Olivia Wilde are still together because their whole right. thing is they don't talk about their relationship publicly. And like aside from like the early paparazzi photos, um, don't really hang out in public together either. But they showed up on the red carpet and also did not acknowledge one another. Huh. At all. And he sits, and when he sits down, 
Chris Pine is sitting between them, and there's also not an acknowledgement between Olivia and Harry whatsoever. It seems like a perfectly run movie. It seems like everything is going according to the way they wanted. <laughs> Chris Pine and Jimma Chan doing all uh, of this work to be the people who are between all of the people who are feuding. Right, to be gargoyles between these tabloid stars. So, so there's a clip now of Chris Pine sitting next to Olivia Wilde, and then Harry Styles walks in to, you know, like the, the, uh, millions of screams, you know. And uh, we're trying to deduce whether or not he spit jokingly or perhaps sincerely on Chris Pine as he sits down. And Chris Pine has a look of, kind of shock on his face and you t- it takes extra leaning in to see that harry does something potentially spitting and we think it's a joke but what's going on there let me tell you something i have always been so sad that i did not live through the jfk assassination because um, right. you know the the excitement around it you know and then seeing jackie you know like you know like blood splattered you know like ascending to um american um culture like the heights of it and then also like the zap rooter film right no this yes. this this is that yeah <laughs> and 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 no one died you know it's an improvement upon the jfk assassination i have to nobody say nobody died oh, that... um the way that yesterday scrolling twitter i saw 19 different angles of Harry sitting down next to Chris with people deducing and, is it spit was Chris Pine just high and he was put his glasses de- there's a moment where he, he's, he has his sunglasses in his hand he puts them down and then looks down uh, and then it's like oh my glasses are there and picks them back up so it's like was he just stoned and couldn't remember that he put his glasses down and did that happen next coincide with harry walking over to him at just that moment or was this bit and also by the way this would be a jarring enough moment because chris pine also happens to look insane at this given moment uh he has the hair of like an american gladiator named viper or something <laughs> and spectacles and he seemed under responsive to almost everything occurring let alone being spit on uh not even to mention the uh, him sitting next to Harry in an interview where he's talking about the film. Um, and Harry is, you know, like, the thing about this movie is it's a movie. <laughs> oh, my God. I was going through Kyle Buchanan was, was at the uh, our friend Kyle Buchanan was at the uh, press conference for this uh, tweeting Harry Styles quotes. And I have to say. Uh, some of them were like, I love acting because I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I wouldn't say that at this given moment. Uh, <laughs> you know what? After that one clip goes around. She's a working class pop star. Okay. Right. Yes. She, he's, he's the new. He was plucked. Mick Jagger was and plucked. Bruce Springsteen and whatever else that he's supposed to fucking be. Yeah. <laughs> plucked by Simon Cowell. Okay. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. The thing that I um, apparently though in the reviews, the reviews are kind of middling for this movie, but actually people seem to be giving Harry more credit than we thought he was going to be getting. Yeah. So. Well, ass- assuming nothing insane happens next week, um, the next we'll be talking about. Don't worry, darling. Is when it actually comes out because I will be seated. Oh, for this. Absolutely. <laughs> I cannot wait. Um. 
uh, Alonzo Duralde uh, uh, from The Rap wrote, I thought it really, what seemed to be a, a review I expected of this movie, which is it's full of twists, but also twists you've seen in other movies 70 times. Uh, uh, he's like, I'm, I think his quote was, I'm surprised Bruce Willis being dead wasn't part of the movie. <laughs> Uh, the other thing to come out of um, Venice was um, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, um, and Brendan Fraser got a six-minute standing ovation. Let me just say about Brendan Fraser in 2022, I did not expect so much Al Gore biopic to be coming off him. He was doing these bows. I was like, here comes the... Uh, I, I I feel like he can win an Oscar for playing Al Gore someday. I love Brendan Fraser. I've always loved Brendan Fraser. I'm happy for this um, Brendan Fraser comeback. Um, he was supposed to be in Batgirl, I feel like. Um, but, you know, we know what happened to that film. And um, I'm excited for a new Darren Aronofsky film, too. Because let me tell you something. I think he's actually one of my favorite directors. I don't love Black Swan, even though it is very entertaining. I thought Mother was admirable, even though it is also one of the most annoying movies of all time. Um, but no, I, I like Darren Aronofsky. Um, What's your favorite, Ben? My favorite Darren Aronofsky movie is... Mm, I'm going to say Requiem for a Dream, even though there are frustrating moments in that chip, because the Ellen Burstyn performance alone is just gobsmacking. That she gave us that in, in 2000. And again, it was her versus... Julia Roberts and Aaron Brockovich. And I mean, like, apples and oranges. I think voters had a tough decision to make. I think mine's The Wrestler. Oh, well, that was when Marissa Tomei was like, by the way, I am still that fucking bitch. Yeah. Marissa Tomei and, like, honestly, like, Mickey Rourke did what needed to be done. Oh, no, but he was so harrowing in that movie. And so um, sometimes a role and an actor line up in just a way where it's like already poignant. And then what they do with it in the movie is just excellent. You know, like I'm sort of waiting for like Nick Nolte to have a movie like that again, where uh, I, I guess warrior had a little bit in that for him, but I, I would, I would like something else to kind of get all his power one last time. You mean you didn't like Nick Nolte in the Hulk? <laughs> I know. And you know, that's my favorite film, which is, um, but, uh, I will also say I know I'm happy for Brendan Fraser too. Uh, I ended up mysteriously in Palm Springs over the weekend catching some of the Mummy Returns on TV. Is that the most expensive movie of all time? That looks like it was entirely furnished at Z Gallery. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is like Egypt, but also like a dining room table. It's just it's like it, it, it looks like a, an Egypt themed movie, not like we're actually in Egypt. The Mummy Returns was a cinematic event. Okay, I love those movies so much. Rachel Weiss in these movies. I mean, she's so breathtakingly gorgeous, but also styled so porny. Her eyeliner and like <laughs> hair, like barrel curls. It's so funny. Uh, the one thing I'll say is that um, I liked The Scorpion King. I did not. I saw that in theaters and was revolted. Uh, I liked the Scorpion King. I did not love um, the third mummy film, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Uh, start um, Brendan and Jet Li. And it was set in China. Um, it was like a Chinese mummy. Okay. Michelle Yeoh's in it. 
Shout out to her. That sounds about right. Um, and then also, shockingly, as a um, Tom Cruise stan, um, I do not like his version of The Mummy. I tried to watch it I on a plane, that that movie... and I fell asleep mm-hmm. 20 minutes into it. Wow. <laughs> Theme of the episode. Um, what I didn't realize about that movie was it was supposed to like kind of kick off a universal the dark universe. Horror. Yes, right. And then that's just gone now like we're done with that i think it's still happening which is which is very confusing but yeah the movie's bad but tom cruise i will see you at the movies (laughs) (laughs) yeah you will um if that ad is beautiful brendan fraser also of course was in the uh movie blast from the past which i need to say about that movie over the weekend i was with matt rogers who I guess has a podcast. And uh, I mistakenly said, oh, Blast from the Past with Brendan Fraser and Heather Graham. And he goes, no, I think it's Alicia Silverstone. I was like, I hate when you correct me with your inferior pop culture knowledge. And I looked it up and I was shocked to misremember that it was Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, it's it's Alicia, baby. I love um, Blast from the Past. It's so dumb. Just a silly movie. I just remember that, um, well, Jennifer Lewis is in that film. Our friend, yeah. yes. Uh, and I just remember from the trailer, <laughs> the, the tra- the, all the time, the trailer was constantly on TV. Because um, it was about Brendan Fraser, you know, being in a fallout shelter um, and his parents keeping them him there his entire life. When he comes out of the shelter, I believe he sees a black woman who says... Uh, Oh, my lucky stars, a Negro. No. <laughs> I don't remember and that. And that line was in the trailer. I don't, I don't remember if it's in the actual movie, but it was in the trailer. And I saw you like the trailer would be, you know, on TV like three times a day. I am. <laughs> I, I guess I'm not surprised. But wow, the, to throw that in the trailer is really something. <laughs> Uh, I think that's about it. Yeah. So anyway, he's he's very. It's good. It sounds like it's going to be him against Timothy Chalamet in the best actor category so far. Mind you, you cannot trust um, Venice Film Festival all. Press. No, you can't. You know, no, because you read like a tweet from someone being like, "The Whale isn't a normal drama. It's the one of the best movies ever." And it then you're like, you check the bio, and it turns out they've only seen three movies before. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, the only thing I'm, the only other thing I'm excited about is the new Martin McDonough film on the Banshees of Inna Sharon. Uh, even though well, I don't uh, like his movies as much as I like his plays, and I will say Hangman on Broadway was fucking fantastic. Um, I will also say about Martin McDonough that after Three Billboards, I believe we sentenced him to make a good movie. <laughs> so uh, this is just cease and desist part of his course correction. Cease and desist yeah. making <laughs> movies about race in America. Okay, go back to where you came from. Uh, Abby Cornish's placement alone uh, <laughs> deserved a slap on the wrist. Uh, and uh, Inaritu's latest film was banned. Uh, I'm kind of excited for him to have a flop moment. We gave him an awful lot over a period of two years. We gave him too and, much uh, because you know what? Yeah, right. Um, Birdman, absolutely not. I don't know. I would have to see it again. I mean, I like certain. I I, lo- I love Edward Norton in that movie, but you're right. I do believe it's a bit self serious about from the title alone. The artist, 
Yeah. Right. Oh God, the title. Oh God. The full title being um, Birdman or yeah. the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, and the name of this one too is Bardo or False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. How about you just pick a title, bitch? Are you Prince? <laughs> Yeah, Lemony Snicket, put the pen down, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, there's Venice. Uh, again, the uh, at least we have these great movies. We have Cape Blanchett and Tar coming out. We have Bones and All, which is supposed to be good. Uh, Maybe this uh, uh, Sam Mendes' Empire of Light with Olivia Coleman is something. Anyway, a lot to look forward to. And unfortunately, we'll be talking about it for the next eight months since I have a problem with the Oscars. Kiki so. Lane, just let us know you're alive. Yeah, right. We're right here. And one more thing out of Venice. I just want to shout out my girl, Trace Lissette, for being the first trans woman to headline a film at Venice. Also, shout out to the 11.5 minute standing ovation girl. I'm very proud of you. And I can't wait to see the film, Monica. We'll be right back. We keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. Lewis, what's yours? This is a Keep It. It it, it is pop cultural, but it has sucked me away from all other pop culture. And I resent this thing for existing because it's doing exactly what it's set out to do. My Keep It is to Pluto TV. Uh, I've brought this up in the context of Pluto TV having a a 24-hour-a-day Jeopardy uh, channel Mm -hmm. where you can just watch Jeopardy all day. But truly... It's just a service that sucks you in and it's the ultimate binge viewing experience in that anything you want to see, you can get an unlimited supply of it on Pluto TV. Type in PlutoTV.com into your browser right now. Get the app, whatever. It's very, it's free, whatever. This, this is not SpawnCon for Pluto TV. I'm simply saying once you start, the course of your life is forever altered. There's a, a, a buzzer, which is a, 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 a general game show network is on Pluto TV. I have seen so many old episodes of classic concentration recently. And I just want to say that matching prizes on a board should not be that compelling. And yet I cannot tear myself away. I cannot stop solving rebuses of phrases like don't give up the ship or whatever. And I yet after this taping of this podcast, I will go back to it. I can just watch it anytime during the day. You can procrastinate with with Pluto TV. But there's an entire American Gladiators channel, and then I get lost in a like loop where I'm looking up the champions from American Gladiators, a show I've already brought up today in regards it to the looks of Chris Pine, and I find out you know which contestants died tragically. One was murdered. Uh, it's just a lot of pop cultural information that I don't have anything to do with. Like I don't get to come on, keep it and then talk about, guess what I did for the past eight hours pop culturally that I can share with you. Nothing because I'm lost in a loop that Pluto TV has provided. So anyway, it's keeping me extremely useless recently, even though it is wildly entertaining. We're going to get investigated by the sec Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) I, I need to see the back channels where Pluto TV is paying you. I know it seems it seems like they own my ass and 
I'm just shocked. I, I, I'm shocked that it, something like this only exists now. It feels like something that would have come out 10 years ago, you know, because there's all these old TV shows lying around waiting to be, you know, we, we used to wait for these shows to be on DVD. But in particular, with something like game shows, you would never buy something like that on DVD. So this is a really appropriate forum for it. Do you think Pluto TV has all of Welcome Back, Cotter? I mean, there's tons of, sh- I mean, there's constantly commercials for like the Mary Tyler Moore show and things like that. So I have the feeling, you know, Cause I've like been, I've uh, been in a welcome back Cotter mood lately. Uh, somebody else is very, obs- oh no, Jimmy Kimmel obsessed with uh, welcome back Cotter comes up a lot. Oh, well, you know, me and Jimmy go way back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, Jimmy and Vinny, Vinny Barbarino, <laughs> the sweat hogs. I couldn't think of their name. That's that. All right. My keep it this week. <laughs> Goes to Jamila Jamil. Oh, it, it, and it's the first time we've ever had a problem with her. So that's really crazy. It is. It's been a while. You know? Right. Um, she's honestly left us without a dope take to step to. Um, and <laughs> here she is um, responding in typical Jamila fashion to a internet joke. The joke, of course, is that Leah Michelle cannot read. And it's a long-standing joke. It's 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 like a folktale at this point. You know, it's like our Paul Bunyan. We've passed it down. It's funny because it started from someone just being. I've I've read the like history of it once before, and it's like someone literally just made a j- joke online once that Leah Michelle can't read, and the way it took off. Is it's just fascinating to me, and of course, it kept circling back um, after all the stuff came out about her being um, a bitch to people on the set of Glee, like sort of like being kind of racist too, uh, and so people started making the reading jokes again as a way, you know, to you know respond to you know the the awful stuff that was coming out about her. Um, mm-hmm. It's a joke. I don't think any of us actually genuinely believes that this woman cannot read. But I do want to say that every opportunity she's been given to prove that she can read, she has not done it. And all you have to no. do is all you have to do is say you can read, girl. But the New York Times yeah. <laughs> did a profile of her um to coincide with the um her funny girl debut which is happening the night that we were tonight as we're recording today, um, her response is, I think it's sad. I think it's sad that people would say I can't read. I showed up to set every day. I knew my lines. Did you read them? (laughs) I didn't ask if you knew the lines. I've seen you say the lines. I know they came out of your mouth. I know that's not ADR by somebody else. I'm talking about the reading. Can you read the lines? And then she also accused it of being sexist. I don't think anyone would say this about a man. <laughs> no. Meanwhile, people make jokes about men. Come on now. There are plenty of men I don't think can read, baby. Aaron Taylor Johnson, for one. <laughs> I saw Nocturnal Animals. I know he was given those. Uh, he learned those lines phonetically. I can tell. <laughs> um. But in all of that, Jamila jumped in to defend her, and somehow Jamila manages to be 
completely annoying in her defense of Leah Michelle, but also incredibly rude to Leah Michelle at the same time. Her she, Jamila put on Instagram, um, not a voice note, by the way. So I'm not sure how Leah's even going to read this, but <laughs> she, she wrote, I see a lot of people claiming a certain actress can't read and then laughing at her. Whatever your issue is with someone, and I don't know this woman or anything about her, but laughing at the idea of anyone not being able to read makes you look like a prick, an elitist, ableist bore. It's embarrassing for you, not them. Ma'am, in your defense of Leah Michelle, did you have to say, I'm sorry to this girl, I don't know who you are? (laughs) Also... A certain actress, can you just say her name? Like the, I don't know anything the about the them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you should read up. Which begs the question, why are you so compelled to make an Instagram post about a woman you don't even know? Oh, my God. Also, if I'm Leah Michelle and my assistant, whatever sends me a text and she's like, oh, something's coming over the transom. Jamila Jamila is here to defend you. Guess what I'm doing? Quitting funny girl and also show business. I'm moving to a cave. Uh, I'm moving to South Dakota. I mean, that was one of the funniest lines in the Gossip Girl reboot. Maybe the only funny line. Um, It gets worse. Jamila Jamila just defended you. (laughs) Uh, Also, to imply that it's ableist to make a joke about a celebrity not being able to read is the wildest take I've ever heard. It's just it, it's just like the time we decided that Millie Bobby Brown was like a huge homophobe <laughs> based on nothing. We, <laughs> and there would be memes of her like holding a coffee cup and saying, off I go to pour this on a faggot. Like just we made that up. It's based on nothing. I understand if you're Bill, Millie Bobby Brown herself, it's probably uncomfortable as a very, very young person to hear people making jokes of this nature. Maybe you that want to one. Get away from the online universe. But at the same time, it is just a joke. Yeah. It's not based on anything. Nobody's like, this colors my actual interpretation of who Millie Bobby Brown right. is. And that one, by the way, I could see someone getting angry at. This yeah. I mean, is, it's like this it has is the innocuous. F word in all of her, all of the jokes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on. But again, as I saw several times, Leah Michelle could just do a funny Instagram post where she's reading a book and it's upside down and she's like, look at me enjoying this book. Listen, Pizza Hut is just waiting to partner with her to relaunch Book It, okay? So... (laughs) Oh my God. A personal pan pizza with like Leah Michelle faces on the pepperonis. That's what I want. Uh, All right. Well, that's our show this week. Um... Thank you to Betty Gilpin for being back, uh, an icon. And for being awesome. God, I just love having her on this show. What a, Just a, a cool celebrity. What a cool person. We weren't going to add a third co-host, but if Betty wants to do it. Right. That's what the seat's for. So, <laughs> um, And thank you as well to the cast of Don't Worry Darling for being completely entertaining two weeks in a row. Keeping us fed. This is me doing uh, circling my tummy motion and licking my lips. I have wanted nothing but petty celebrity drama to come back. We had such, like, the first, this, this show has been going on for almost five fucking years. Our anniversary is in January. The amount of our show that was devoted to, like, dark 
celebrity drama, like Kim and Kanye, and then, you know, all the other shit that was going on, um, like 2018 and 2019. This is, this is pure innocent fun. Yes, right. No, um, the Azealia Bankses and the Nicki Minajes have not provided as much recently, and we needed someone to take the reins, and this is what happened. Although... Did you see what Azalea Banks wrote about Sam Smith? No. Oh, no. What? <laughs> because I guess Sam Smith was talking about her. And, you know, Sam has a song with Kim Petras coming out um, called Unholy. And Azalea wrote, Sam Smith, please keep my name out of your boring mouth. When I told you to give me a how many lick style hook for fuck em all night, it was too controversial for you. That or you're just the most boring gay man on the planet. If I'm too controversial for music, get your stupid ass off TikTok. Keep on your men's warehouse suit and make the song for the Campbell Soup commercial, Cornball. <laughs> now, I've said it before. Azealia Banks is extremely funny, but someone placed a curse on her that she will follow this up days later with something so raunchily offensive but a, that you will regret having laughed. But until then... We're going to leave you with keep your men's warehouse suit on and make the Campbell suit commercial. (laughs) And remember to check out full episodes of Keep It on the Uncultured YouTube channel. And please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever. Just give us five stars. Give us four. I will hunt you down. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nara Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for our production support every week. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.